It's October, which means it's fall. The days are getting shorter. Uh, nights are getting cooler. The leaves are starting to change colors. Uh, they're going to be falling off the trees before too long. Uh, we're in the midst of football season. Um, Wake Forest University, like nobody cares, but we're 5-0, and number one in the ACC right now. But again, nobody here cares except for me. Uh, baseball uh, playoffs actually begin tomorrow. Go Cardinals. And uh, there is pumpkin spice and absolutely everything, right? So all these things tell us that fall is here, specifically October. But, uh, but there's something else about October. We got Halloween at the end of the month. We, we got our trunk or treat coming. I hope you can be a part of that. But the one thing that really reminds me that October is here are scary movies. Uh, because when you're watching TV, it's like every channel has a scary movie on. Or every commercial, every other commercial, there's like some advertisement for a scary movie. And so if you're a parent, what are you doing, man? You, you got your hand on the remote all the time because you're like, oh my gosh, I can't let my kids see that. And you're changing channels because it's just kind of scary movie season. Now, I, I don't know about you, but um, in all my faux manliness, uh, I don't like scary movies. Like they are not something that I enjoy in watching at all. And the reason is pretty simple. Scary movies scare me. So that's why I don't, I don't watch them. Now, the really good ones, right, we, we can't forget some of the images that, that we've seen. I mean, they just kind of stick with us. Uh, I've shared, I think, the story before. We lived in New Jersey. My first full-time ministry was the youth pastor there. And I had these four guys that I'd been mentoring, discipling uh, in, through middle school and into high school. But I think it was the, either their middle school years or, or ninth grade. We got together one day. They were off of school. It's like, hey, let's go see a movie. Went to the movie theater. And, you know, it's like, hey, you know, what do you guys want to see? And uh, I was like, you know, there's this one movie over here. It's like this little rat, and he likes to make food, and he's in somebody's head, and he's moving things around. And, you know, that would be good. And they are like, no, we want to go see The Ring. <laughs> I was like, oh, let me call your parents. So I called all the parents like, hey, are you guys okay? Are you okay with this? And I don't know if the parents actually understood. I think they thought it was about some engagement ring, not what it was really about. And so we go in, and we're watching this movie, and uh, I'm about five minutes in. Elbow is on the, the, the arm thing there, and I'm like this the whole time. We leave, and the guy's like, dude, how did you sleep through that whole movie? And I was like, I wasn't asleep. I was scared. And I still, till this day, I still have images of that girl coming out of the TV screen, right? I mean, you can never forget those things. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Well, here's the deal. Some of you are like, this is a little weird and strange. Well, what's the connection here? Well, you think about a scary movie. And you think about what's happening within this, this scary movie. Well, really what we see, we, we see this, usually this individual, and there's something dark inside of them. Uh, there, there's something sinister that, that is there. And that, that dark force, that sinister stuff that's there, it, it comes out and, and affects the people around them. Hey, but you know what? We're actually not much different that if we were to look deep down inside of us, there is something dark inside of us. There is something that's sinister in, inside of us. And again, it's really not much different than these scary movies that we may watch during a time like this. And so this is why we begin the series today called The Creature Within. Because in inside of each one of us, there is a creature in us. Now, it's not an alien that's going to pop out of our stomach at some point in time, right? That's not what this is. It's something that's actually way worse than that happening. It's something that controls us. Uh, it's something that leads us, something that, that moves us. And 
And honestly, it's something that should scare us. So what is that creature within us? Well, I'm not going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you a little bit later on because I want to go through this experience, this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples and some religious leaders. We find this in Matthew chapter 15. If you have your Bible, we can turn to Matthew 15. It's going to be up here on the screens. It actually starts with verse 1. It says, Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Let me give you a little context what's happening here. We have these religious leaders. Uh, They come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was sort of the headquarters of Judaism. uh, And so this is where the temple was. And people would go worship at the temple. They would go sacrifice at the temple. Uh, This is where the high priests and sort of the, the main people in charge, that's where they worked out of. And so they have heard, they, they know about this guy named Jesus. And so they, they send this contingent from Jerusalem to this, this little place called Galilee. Now, Jerusalem was kind of like D.C., busy, hectic, you know, people are always on the move. Galilee was the country. It was rural. It was backwoodsy. Uh, the, the people in Galilee were looked down upon. They were rednecks, okay? And that's kind of the way we look at it, right? And I can say that because I grew up a redneck, all right? So that's kind of the the deal there. Um, So they send this group up there because they want to figure out what's this Jesus character doing? I mean, what's happening here? People are following him. They're talking about him. They're not listening to us anymore. And so they're they're trying to to figure all this stuff out. Well, one of the questions that they ask, one of the things that they come to first when they get there, they want to know about this, his disciples and why they're not washing their hands. Like they're saying, hey, you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat. And these guys aren't, aren't doing the ceremony that you're supposed to do to wash your hands before you, they eat. Now, if you know the Ten Commandments, it's not in the Ten Commandments. We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about these 613 laws that the, the religious leaders have put in place. It's not in there either. Uh, this was actually a part of oral tradition, something that was put into something called the Mishnah. And, uh, and so these oral traditions had been handed down, some of these, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. This one was probably one that had been pretty recent. And so when they asked the question of, of Jesus, you know, why aren't your disciples washing their hands? What they're saying is, hey, Jesus, we, we've got these rules and laws in place. You're a rabbi. You're a teacher. You, you should know these. And this oral tradition is as important as some of these other things. So why aren't you making sure that these guys are following these rules? And here is Jesus' response in verse 3. He says, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. Jesus has actually given it back to these Pharisees. I mean, he had this incredible ability to do this. And what he's telling them is like, you have all these oral traditions in place. You've got all these extra rules and laws. And so you're telling the people they need to follow what you're teaching. And he's like, but, but here's the deal. This whole honor your father and mother thing, hey, that's actually one of the Ten Commandments, right? This is one of the things God told Moses to tell the people. And so that was probably... A lot more important than these oral traditions. 
And yet what you're doing is you're making these oral traditions. You're making these other rules and laws that you've put into practice and you've put into place. You're holding people to that standard and you're like, hey, guess what? You really don't have to take care of your parents. You can kind of do what you want. You, you, can, you can do these things over here. And so these traditions were becoming more important than God's word. And so again, Jesus is throwing this back at these, at these religious leaders. Now I want to stop here for a moment before we continue on to Matthew 15. Because I want to talk about like these rules and laws and traditions that they had in place. Because it's actually a pretty important issue for us to talk about, not just for then, but for us now. Now, if you think about these rules and laws and added traditions, there's actually a bigger purpose here. And the bigger purpose was behavioral modification. Behavioral modification. Now, the religious leaders would say, hey, we're putting all these things into place so you can be closer to God. But it really wasn't about them being closer to God. It was really about controlling behaviors. It was modifying how people live. We want to change you in such a way that your behaviors will change. And so you can be a better person. Mentally, that sounds great. But they were missing out on the God piece. And so if we were to look at some of these rules, some of these laws. In fact, if we were to go back and look at the 613 other commands that they had put into place to follow. We would find that 365 of those were negative commands. They were things that they said, these are things you can't do. These are things you can't say. And then the other 248 were actually positive commands. Here's things you can do. Here's things you, you can say. And so if we, we look at those, this is all about changing behavior. It's all about behavioral modification. And the Pharisees saw themselves as the people who could make this happen. And so what they were going to do when you messed up, they were going to let you know, hey, you messed up. You need to change. Here's this law. Here's this tradition. You need to live this way. If you did what was right, it might have been a, hey, good job, high five. But they were always trying to work on changing behaviors, trying to get you to this place of where you were thinking about what you were doing or not doing, what you were saying or you were not saying. They were trying to get you to this place of where your behavior had become different. And so you could change these behaviors through these rules that were in place. Now, when I think about that, I think about what we're reading here. It takes me back to growing up. Uh, my, my parents uh, had three boys in the house. Uh, we were rambunctious. We were energetic. We were crazy. Um, I've seen some of you that have three boys, and I have gone back and I've apologized to my mom profusely because <laughs> I can see how hard that must have been. But uh, our parents had a choice to make. They could let us be crazy. Uh, or they could work on behavioral modification. The idea being, hey, I, we want to help you understand how you should act and shouldn't act. You know, when you act up, here's what the punishment's going to be, and things you can say and can't say, and, you know, what the punishment's going to be. And, and for my parents to do that, they did have to punish us. They, they had to teach us. Now, whatever your method of punishment is, if you're a parent you believe in, that's up to you. Don't judge us, all right? Don't judge my parents. But here's the deal. For my parents to take care of my brothers and I, to get us to change our behaviors, we were actually spanked, okay? We were spanked, uh, and many times it was from the jerry belt. And I think I've had the jerry belt up here before. It's a piece of leather, it's a real belt, and I guess back in the 70s, you used to like stencil your name in the back of the belt. And so in the back of the belt says Jerry, which is my dad's name, and I guess he wore that belt very proudly. 
But um, I was able to actually steal that belt from my dad's closet, and uh, it resides in our home now. And our kids love to go get it and just laugh about it, that one, my dad would wear a belt with his name on it. But secondly, we'll laugh because we try to see if there's any of my epithelia that are still attached to said belt. But, uh, but I know my parents did this because they were trying to say, hey, guys, we're trying to teach you. We're trying to change your behavior, and this is how we're going to do it. I don't know how you were punished. Some of you may have been spanked. Uh, some of you may have had a discussion with your parents. Some of you may have been put in timeout. You know, some of you, you're younger, maybe they gave you an iPad, and that was your, you know, your punishment for some reason. But anyway, there's different ways that we were punished. The whole idea being we're trying to work to help you change your behavior. And so that's what punishment is for when, when it comes to kids, however you may do that. That's why we punish us as adults. That's why we get in trouble at work because, hey, maybe our behavior is not like it should be. What we're really trying to do is we're trying to help people construct a list. And this list says, here's the things that you can do and can't do. Here's the things you can say or, or can't say. And so we go through our life, and the older we get, the longer that list becomes. What we're really doing at this point is we're putting these, these filters in place. Um, we, we put these filters in place so that we can know what words and actions are appropriate. So we can know what words and actions are, are not appropriate. So instead of us saying something that just comes to mind and just blurting it out, because some of us have that problem of doing that, if those filters are in place, we can kind of stop and say, okay, I shouldn't say that. I need to be quiet. I need to keep that to myself. Or, or there's things that we want to act on, you know, that carnal part of, uh, of who we are and our humanity. We're just like, man, I just want to do this. And, and yet when we, we have these filters in place, we're like, oh, wait, hold up a second. I definitely don't want to take that step. What's going to come out of that is not, not going to be good. And so we learn to live this life that is full of these different filters. But here's the question. If we follow Jesus, are we called to behavioral modifications? If we follow Jesus, are, are we called to just have more filters in place? If we're called to follow Jesus, if that's what we're trying to do, I actually think there's something more for us. Well, if we go back to Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, uh, Jesus goes back to some Old Testament prophecy. Uh, he brings that up just to kind of get onto the, the Pharisees a little bit more, and he's talking about them. But look at verse 10. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And so here's Jesus like, hey, these unwashed hand things, that's not the big deal, right? I mean, a little dirt in your mouth probably helps your immune system. He's like, here's the deal. It's what comes out of your mouth. That's the power. That's the thing that we have to watch out for. Look at verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Disciples like, Jesus, did you know you hurt those grown men's feelings? Well, Jesus doesn't care, right? Jesus is like, all right, we're going to keep moving here. Verse 13, he says this, says, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. The Pharisees, uh, they didn't like what Jesus had to say. 
Uh, here's Jesus who's talking about upsetting you know, their, their traditions and their rules and, and their laws and their teachings. And all these people are now following Jesus and they're listening to Jesus and they're kind of changing their lives. He's, and Jesus is challenging these traditions and rules and the control that's there. But, but if we, we think about what he's, he's doing, he's saying, hey, your behavioral modifications you have in place, that's not what this is all about. Hey, hey, these filters you're trying to get people to, to put into place, these lists you're, you're trying to help them come up with, that's not going to change them. There's something more at stake and at play. Look at verse 15. Then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Now, Peter here is probably referring back to another story, another parable from the past that Jesus had taught, and he's trying to figure that out. It could have been some teachings on some of these uh, additional traditions um, that he was referring to, but he's trying to understand all this. He's trying to understand all of this that Jesus is, is talking about. Look at verse 16. He says, don't you understand yet, Jesus asked, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. If you want to know what that creature is that's deep inside of us, if you want to know what that dark force is, that sinister thing in each one of us that should scare all of us, it's this right here. It's the heart. Jesus talks about this a little bit more. Verse 19, he says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, Murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. The first thing I would say here is if you're a parent, don't ever read verse 20 to your kids, okay? Because your kids can be like, but Jesus said it, and you told me to follow Jesus. I don't have to wash my hands again. Stop at verse 19. But there's more important stuff here, and you can do that. You can control that piece. You read this list, and look at that list, man. There's some strong things on there. There's some big stuff that that Jesus is talking about here. And he's like, all these things, all this stuff that you you struggle with, your actions, your words, your thoughts, that, that you don't know what to do with, and it's like this creature inside of you. Guess what? All of that comes from your heart. Now, there is good news here, okay? The good news is, thankfully, we have non-expressed thoughts too, right? There are sometimes things we think about that we want to say, and we catch ourselves, and we don't do it. There's actions we want to take, and we've thought about it, and we're like, I really want to do this, but we, we hold back. So at least there's some non-expressed thoughts that we never work out in, or fill out in, in our life because we, we do have those filters in place. But then there's moments where something slips out. Something comes out of our mind or out of our lips. Something we, we do that we're like, man, where did that come from? Well, again, that all comes from the heart. And when our heart leads us and our heart's not in the right place, uh, there are times that we have to pay the price for what we do. And Jesus is like, hey, it's not about behavioral modifications. It's not uh, about having a, a strong filter game. Because deep down, there's this creature within each one of us. And it leads us and it moves us. And sometimes it can be in control of us in ways that we act and say and think things that we shouldn't. And that creature comes out. 
There was a study that was done a few years back. They asked this group of people a question, and they said, what would you be willing to do if you knew you would never get caught? And so they asked them things like, um, would you murder somebody? Would you have an affair? Would you steal something? Uh, would you add in whatever the favorite crazy thing that's in your mind right now? Would you do that thing if you knew you would never get caught? They were astonished because the majority of the people said, yes, they would. They said, yep, we, we would do that. Now think about this. Here's a group of people that have had behavioral modification their whole life. They've got all these filters in place. Now they're not necessarily Christians, but, but they're asking this question. If you knew you would not get caught, would you do these things? And the heart really comes out in that, right? It's like, yes, we would do that. See, that reminds me that behavioral modification is never the answer. The filters being in place aren't going to get us where we need to be. That what we really need to change, we need to change our hearts. We need to change what's deep inside of us. Now, let me just say this. When we talk about the heart, you know, it's kind of a weird thing because... um, it's sort of what we define or use as a symbol for our emotional state, our spiritual state. In Jesus' day, it was the place that actions came from and, and words and love and, and thoughts. And, and again, we, we kind of use it similarly today. But uh, let's just think about this. Say, reality is, you know, a heart's not the thing that does it. It's probably more our, our mind, our brain. I mean, think about some of the, the ways we kind of romanticize the heart, right? Here, here's a couple of thoughts here. I'm giving this to you from my heart. Sounds great, right? You know, I love you with all my heart. Those are beautiful words. Uh, I'm brokenhearted. Now we hear that like, oh, okay, I kind of understand this. I get it. But again, the reality is so much of this is coming from our mind, right? It's coming from our brain. But that just doesn't sound as good. Listen to this. I'm giving this to you from my brain. Okay? I love you with all of my brain. No guy or girl wants to hear that, right? I am broken-brained. <laughs> See, I mean, we think about, you know, you can't really use that, but the heart, there, there's something about that. And, you know, if you, you kind of go back into Jesus' day for Judaism specifically, the heart was everything. Now, part of that was they were still trying to figure out sort of the human body, but uh, they were like, hey, you know, when, when we get emotional, uh, when we're in love, um, when something exciting happens, we, we notice that, that the heart beats quicker and it beats faster. And so they just kind of connected everything to the heart. And so we, we still use the heart as a symbol of, of who we are, right? And so we talk about the heart. We're talking about really who we are in our mental state, our, our emotional state, and, and our, our spiritual state. It feels right. And so here is, is Jesus who's saying, hey, this creature within you is your heart and you know what your heart has the power to hurt it has the power to harm it has the power to kill it has the power to still and and yet at the the same time the heart has the power to help and to love and to console and to be compassionate and to be kind and to and to spread joy the heart is a powerful thing and it, it leads us down these many different paths if we were to think about relationships, for instance, relationships can be amazing. Relationships can be incredible. They can be fun. They can be life-giving. Or relationships can be messy. They can be terrible. They can be broken. But you know what? That, that all starts with, with the heart. 
But if we like our relationships, if relationships are something we want to work on in our life, if we want them to be what God intended them for, the, for us to be, it's not actually about changing behaviors. It's not about adding more filters. It's really about changing our heart. And then we can have this, this relationships, that, the kind that God has always wanted for us to have. And so when Jesus talks about, hey, it's not about washing your hands, it's about changing your heart. That modifying your behaviors aren't the answer. That adding more filters aren't really going to get you anywhere else. What you really need is this, this life change, this, this heart change deep inside of who you are. And so it begins with our heart. Because again, we love with our heart. We lead with our heart. We move forward with our heart. We speak from our heart. We, we act from our heart. We parent from our heart. We do so much from our heart, and yet too often our heart is the creature inside each one of us. And then I think about those of us that are Christians, and I think we have to come to this understanding that for us, um, many of us have been taught that if we want to follow Jesus, it's really about changing behaviors. That, that if we want to follow Christ, then it's really about adding Christian filters into our world. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't believe that's what following Jesus actually is. It's not really about changing behaviors. It's not really about having a Christian filter for everything you do. Now, what, what following Jesus is all about, it's about our hearts being changed. It's about our hearts being healthy. It's about our hearts not being this creature within us. Because we can still have behavioral modification. We can still have these Christian filters in place. And guess what? Our heart can still be dark. And our heart can still be sinister. And you know what? I believe God has called us to something more than that. I wish it was easy. I wish I could tell you right now, here's a three-step process for you to have a changed and transformed heart. You know, step one would be, hey, say a prayer. Step two, go, go talk to a pastor. Uh, step three, stop watching The Bachelor. You do those three steps, man, you're going to be perfect. You're going to have this heart change, but our hearts being changed is hard. It takes time. It takes effort. But most importantly, it takes us inviting God to change us from the inside out. I love these words that King David wrote. In Psalm 51.10. And this really is our theme verse throughout this whole series. And he writes this song and he writes these words here. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now Psalm 51 is an interesting song that's, that uh, David writes. Because it comes after uh, a place where that creature within him was, was crazy and really dark and really sinister. He saw a lady named Bathsheba that uh, he lusted after and uh, he commits a sexual sin with her, maybe even towards her. Uh, then he has, she becomes pregnant and he has her husband Uriah murdered. This prophet comes to David and is like, hey David, you messed up dude. You, you screwed up, you jacked up, Here, here's the deal, you've got to change. And, and 
For some reason, those words from Nathan changed David's heart. It, he realized what he had done, and so he writes this song. He writes Psalm 51. And if you go back and you, you read through it, what you're going to find is you're going to find he asked for forgiveness. He confesses what he's done. He asked God for restoration. But then he shares those words there in, in verse 10, and he says, Create in me a pure heart. David's actually asking for a miracle. He's asking God to do what only God can do. Now, however long that process may be, whether it's a short process or a long process, David doesn't care. He's like, God, I just need you to do a miracle. I, I need to be transformed inwardly. I need my soul to change. I need, I need my heart to change. And so he asked God to do this miracle on his heart. Because David knew this was the creature within him he could not control. And so he says here, he says, create a pure heart in me. Create this clean heart, this healthy heart. And then take me back to where my spirit used to be. Like I used to be so connected with you and my heart was yours. And I allowed this creature to rear its head. And God, I, I want you to create a, a new pure heart in me. But I, I want you to take me back to that connection and that relationship that we had before. And so when I read David's words there in 51.10, as I look back and see all these kind of steps he's taken, I feel like it's his prayer. Like this is the moment where he's, he's praying to God, God, create in me a pure heart. And God, renew that steadfast spirit within me. Now, honestly, that would be a great place for any of us to begin for uh, us to ask God to create this pure heart in us, to renew that steadfast spirit, not to help us behave better, not to, to add more Christian filters to our life, but for our hearts to fully be changed. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four heart issues that um, many of us struggle with. Maybe you're going to hear one and be like, hey, man, that, that connects with me. Maybe you're going to hear all four and be like, oh, all four of those are me. Whatever may be the case. I'm not going to tell you what they're going to be each week because I want you to come back. But um, it's so important that we work on these heart issues. And we start by understanding there is this creature within us. Now, over the course of the series, there may be some behavioral modifications you may make. And there may be some filters that you add because of what we talk about. And that's totally fine. But at the core of this, there's that creature within us. And at the core of this, that's our heart. And what we truly need is God to change and transform our heart. And if we can get to that place, we can deal with that creature within us. Because here's the deal. Right now, for many of us, that creature is there. And we walk up to this old house, and it's the end of the road, and it's, kind of dark there's a couple of lights in it and we know we should go in that house we know what's in there but we go in there anyway and once we get in there that creature within us it pounces and and we say things that we don't mean to say and we at least we say that right we we take actions that we we didn't want to take and all the behavioral modifications and all the filters we have in place they don't work why because that creature is so strong but you know what we begin to look around there's no one else there there's not anything else in that house. It's just us. And the creature is there inside of us. It's our heart. What would it look like if God began to create in you and me that pure heart? 
and show us what that steadfast spirit truly looks like. And so here's what I'm going to invite us to do throughout this series. Uh, Whether you write this somewhere, you put on a mirror, post-it note on your phone, uh, whatever it may be for you, I invite you every day over the course of this series to pray this prayer from Psalm 5110. Hey God, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Every single day, every time that you wake up in the morning, let that be your first prayer. Hey God, create in me today a pure heart and renew that steadfast spirit in me. As we start this series, I wonder what would happen if every day you and I, we began our day by praying that prayer. And so I invite you to be a part of that. I invite you to pray every single day. And I invite you to look at yourself where you are today and where we end up in a few weeks as we see God answer those prayers in each one of us. Let's pray. Hey, God, we are broken. We are messy. Honestly, we're, we're not any different than the Pharisees. And I think many times we look at the Pharisees and we think that, um, that they're not us. We, we think they're messier than us. We think that they are worse than us. And the reality is we're not any different. But God, the difference is we can make a decision to fully follow Jesus. Uh, to give our heart and our soul and our life to Christ. That we don't get stuck up in our traditions and even for many of us, you may be our Christian filters and things that we've learned and behavioral modifications when it comes to being a Christ follower. Because, God, in the end, that stuff will only get us so far. What needs to happen is life change. What needs to happen is heart change. And so as we begin this series, Lord, our prayer is to create in each one of us a pure heart and to renew that steadfast spirit within us. In Jesus' name, amen.